Welcome to Journey to the Centre of Food, a bottle of baby sham and a cellar full of cristal. My name's Jay Taylor, I'll be your pilot today, along with James Winter, our trusted foodie navigator. Good day! And on today's show, prepare <laughs> your palate, alert your nose, and set your glasses to swirl as we are diving headfirst into a big vat of wine. Yes, we are being joined by two of Britain's most knowledgeable and entertaining wine experts to discover the secrets of English wine and many other things too. Delving inside this emerging market to find out how you can drink the very best of British and still get your wine fix. Plus, we have some votes for the worst ever TV show idea. So without further ado, let's pop a cork for a journey to the centre of wine. Hello, James. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good, Jay. How are you? Yes, very good. I, I put the the, um, the baby sham reference into the introduction, and then I went. I love went, a baby sham. I love. I'll have a baby sham. I, and then I went down one of those um, rabbit holes where I was sort of reading up on baby sham, and it was the first. Mm. Apparently, the first one of the first wines marketed for women. Uh, back in mm, well, yeah. I believe it's not wine though, is it? Isn't it a Perry cider? Yes, that was the thing. It was it was pear based, and there was a big controversy yeah. because they were told off. Because everyone had a go at them because they said, oh, you're marketing it as, as wine and it's made of pears. And they're like, no, we didn't. Mm. It's, uh... And no one had heard of Perry anyway. So when I discovered this, I thought I was all smart and trendy, liking pear cider. <laughs> right? And then I realized someone said, well, you know what, Baby Sham's pear cider. And you immediately think, oh, what? <laughs> yeah, I know. You know? Exactly. <laughs> I've inadvertently been drinking it from the age of 14. And it's still around. <laughs> yes, exactly. Is it really? It still exists? It still exists, with, yes. I was with its little it, ba- it doesn't have a little baby deer on the on the bottle or something. That's Some it. Kind of, is it a deer? Yeah, yeah, okay. I think it's a deer. It? Yeah, it's a deer. Or a unicorn? Mostly deer, isn't it? I think it's a deer. Right, so the unicorn's got the spiky bit on the. Front. <laughs> I haven't had a baby sham for quite a while. I think we need to we need to research. I'm sure they'll sponsor us now after this this Absolutely. fantastic Absolutely. plug. Uh, now we have some very interesting guests on today, haven't we? And I, you just told me a very interesting fact off air about uh, your previous TV experience and the places you would always well. go and film with uh, Peter. Well, Peter in particular, but obviously our guests today are two people I've worked with for many years, I guess. But you know, they were two of the incredibly knowledgeable, brilliant people that I was very lucky enough to to, to be able to you know utilize, lean into, and 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 you know feed off their knowledge for Saturday Kitchen for for many many years. And it's I mean Peter Richards and Susie Barry who are just the most beautiful couple you know of people generally, but they also happen to have an incredible knowledge of wine, and they they share you know, just for just for sheer joy of sharing wine with them is wonderful. But you know, just the knowledge that they have to back it up is is second to none. So I was sharing a little insider tidbit from Saturday Kitchen, which was one of the things that used to keep us amused was when making the wine VTs. And obviously, Peter, he might chip in at some point, so we just shut up. Peter is quite <laughs> tall; he's taller than me, and I'm quite a tall man. Um, I'm going to I'm going to say you're six foot nine, although you're probably <laughs> not quite in your stocking feet. But obviously. We would look for interesting and fun places to, to drag our poor wine experts to every week. And obviously, Peter being so tall, we always used to enjoy the fact that Peter was tall. So let's find the smallest places in Britain <laughs> to go and visit. So I also think, as well as knowing everything there is to know about wine, he must be one of the few people on this country, and certainly you know I've ever met, that's probably visited every model village in the United <laughs> Kingdom. Which raises him in my estimation, actually. Now, uh, we'll be- just to get that shot of, of Peter's strolling through the smallest street in England every week. I love villages as well. I think, I presume this is some, a thing elsewhere, right? They've got this amazing one in Germany I've seen. Have you seen it where they actually have, everything's moving, like flying planes, moving cars. 
It's very, very, oh, very the, No, I haven't, and I want to go immediately. You must Honestly, you must send me... It's this remarkable. This is how I plan my family holidays. It's <laughs> <laughs> now, before we get to Susan Peter, though, important business. Mm. A few weeks ago, we spoke about the rise and rise of the food TV show and mm. where they came from, where they're going. And we asked our listeners to... Uh, come up with the worst TV food show ideas that they could come up with and then uh, on the promise that I would go and pitch them to some channel commissioners yes. if they were good enough uh, and bad enough. And and as always, they've risen, risen to the challenge. Uh, Leo, Leo Barmordenvale, always in touch with us and he says, bad food idea, hoarders cook. Which is hoarders make food in Go their on. kitchens using the food they have in those kitchens, which is which actually feels like something I've probably seen on daytime television yeah. at some uh, point. What are they hoarding? Are they hoarding like tins in his head, or is it old old food that they should have thrown out long long ago? Or what? what what's I've been in to there? a hoarder's house. We filmed at Hilda's house. We didn't know they were a hoarder. They just contributed, and we had turned up at their house. We we're like, whoa, this is weird. And they just had boxes and boxes and boxes of like Cadbury's, you know, those little animal cracker things cabries had tons of those everywhere what full full of them like the boxes what, you'd see in the corner of the news like the so big cardboard boxes yeah but were they empty though no full, of, them. full of full of the stuff oh. full of the, yeah so you know, that kind so of thing so they could just really love them yeah in a slightly mentally ill okay. way though because there was a lot oh, okay. of cabries <laughs> biscuits and stuff in there um we also had tara at tara feeds get in touch she said um boxing you've heard of boxing chess right um which is a really no. remarkable thing. This is genuinely a thing. Boxing chess, the, the way the competition happens is you have a boxing ring, you have uh, two contestants, and they are box ready to box. So basically what they do is they, they box for two minutes, then they sit down and play chess for two minutes in the middle of the wow. ring, and then they get up and box again, and they continue doing that until they win. You can win either by checkmate or knocking the other person out. This is a real so, thing. So, you, so, so if you knock someone out, that's, that's game over. Or right, if you get checkmate in the game of chess. So she suggested uh, boxing Ooh. cooks. So the same idea, but you box for two minutes and then you cook for two yeah. minutes. And it's a- Battle chef. Battle chef. <laughs> like it's take a- on Delia or something. Well, it'd be wonderful. Or two members of the public. It doesn't have to be you know one of the, the legends of, of the culinary world. It could be anybody who loves to cook, right? As long as they can... Hold their hands up in front of their face <laughs> for long enough to then then make a quick omelette. But something. do you take do you do you have to take the gloves off to move the pieces? Yeah, I can't remember how they do it because they need to be able. You're right, they need to be able to move the pieces. But getting gloves on and off is a big faff. But I think they do have mm. them taken off by their like whatever the guys in the corner, the seconds or whatever it is, and then they put mm. them back on again. Um, and and wow. then we had a uh, Scott Scott Q Gould said uh, this is not bad food idea. This is a question for James. When mm. filming James Martin's America. Why didn't, I think he means why didn't anyone pull him up on the pronunciation of bourbon? Or was it just an amazing in-joke? Well, thank you. two things there. The I didn't make that programme. Oh, did you not? <laughs> so, so thankfully that wasn't my fault. Uh, and pulling James up on pronunciation of anything, if you try and, I mean, I mean, he's from Yorkshire. That's how I say it. And so that's how it is. How, do you, how can really you mispronounce, much. I'm saying it right, bourbon, right? Is that not? It, it could say any... It's normally a down. It'd be like butcher, be bubbon, maybe. You'd say butcher, butter. But, I don't know. It'd be butter, wouldn't it? Butter. 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 It'd be bourbon. 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 Oh, so you have nothing to do with that. I hope he's not listening, Jake. Edit. Edit point. <laughs> Edit point before we lose everyone in the north. <laughs> right, quickly. Let's meet our guest host for today. Well, let's elevate the quality of this broadcast significantly. <laughs> yes. Uh, Susie and Peter are masters of wine, which is the most cool thing. It sounds like Master of the Universe, who also happen to have married each other. Uh, they're TV presenters, event hosts, writers, 
and experts on all wine, uh, plus they're hosts of the fabulous podcast Wine Blast. They've been called Britain's first couple of wine, which is very cool. Uh, they've won many awards for their work in the wine world, and they're here today to give us some of their insights. We're delighted to welcome to the podcast Susie and Peter. Hello, both. Hello. 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 Can I just uh, leap in here because... Listening to you guys is a complete joy. Um, and, and the idea of Battle Chef, I think, has lots of legs. I think we need to talk about this uh, down the pub. I, I'm, feeling a bit, I'm feeling a bit worried about this, 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 this chess thing, though. Because, it worries you know, me. What if you knock the ball over? How can you well, knock the ball out? They don't have the box around it. <laughs> well, clearly, because that was my first fall. No, what if you accidentally no, stumble no, into no. the board and yeah, you've got to pick up all the pieces? The no, you get, you, get, you get the tech guys on that. You have an insulator. Anyway, the key thing that I was going to get to was... <laughs> What? We need to get the baby sham and the crystal involved in Battle Chef. So I think well, that as yeah. well as the chess, there's a, there's a little section on genteel pouring and maybe wine tasting, you know, maybe some baby oh, sham in there imagine. too, that then it becomes an extra element. I think that's 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 the winner, isn't it? Mm. That is the that is the winning. T- I'd happily pitch that as well by taking in Drunken some baby battle sham to chef. We once put, um, we once put uh, Blue Nun in a soda stream. And so and gave it to a bunch of city traders, and they could they they couldn't some of them couldn't tell it wasn't um, nice sparkling wine, which is quite well, quite a pleasant thing to do. There, so, there, uh, there's a whole different show in that one, Jay. <laughs> yes, uh, there is. Fizz <laughs> up your life. So, uh, is Blue Nun still available? Yes. Oh yes. It's doing and very is it well. still as, is, it, is it doing very well? Is it is it still the same wine, or is it have they have they done a bit of background work? We we're you, not going to pretend you know, Susie and I are you looking don't, at you each don't other. T- you don't seem to get blue. I'm looking at your back a, shelf. A, you don't get that in the Master of Wine <laughs> exam, funnily, James. We're, we're, we're not true. We're not really. What? You so you don't it. find out. So you never find out what the mystery of the Black Tower was. What's the secret of the Black Tower? You never know. We did you never... actually for our for our no. podcast for our podcast. One of our that listeners challenged us. Challenged us recently to line up a lot of the top-selling brands in the UK. So we did. And actually, I, I believe that We had both, Black Tower in there. Yeah, Black Tower. We did have there. Black Tower Black in Tower there. and Blue Nun, I think, are still in the top 10 selling brands in the UK, which surprised no. me. Um, but yeah, I think they're still relatively similar to what they were. I think they might have improved or, or got didn't some different Blue things Nun in the Blue Nun had a bit of a makeover, didn't it? I think Blue yeah. Nun had a bit of a makeover. Well, if you um, look at the labels, the, the labels are they're pieces of art. When you go back to the 70s, the Blue Nun, the Nun has changed. That oh, she's changed. Googling, googling. Just, why why is it called Blue Nun? Do we I'm, like this? Well, is I mean, we're immediately taking you masters of wine. We're going straight. <laughs> what to are you doing to us, Seriously, we started off with Cristal and we've gone baby sham. <laughs> uh, I wonder oh, if it's yeah. made. Blue I know. Nun. See, I've googled that, and all I'm getting is adult nun costumes. I was going to point out a side personal story that my wife Vicky often goes to a fancy dress party as the blue nun for me. Uh, that's Wasn't one of she... our staple outfits. Oh my right. god, yep. James! I've just remembered that party that we came to. Yes, with yours. that was the... her fifty. Well, I won't say what. Age. No, no, no. Edit, you don't edit, say edit that. Point. Never talk did. about a lady's age. <laughs> I'll beat all that. All I remember is <laughs> edit point. I don't think there was any baby sham at that party, and there should have been because wasn't it an eighties theme? And loosely. Lo- yeah. Loosely. And all I remember is me turning up as Olivia Newton John in that physical yes, thing. You but did. but being the driver, the designated driver. So I had to stand there in this ridiculous leotard and sober. Meanwhile, sober. Pete, I mean, James, you, Pete, Pete is dressed as John McEnroe. He was. In full tennis shorts and everything. Yeah, yeah but with a few lagers, it was fine. You know, I was I was in character. But James, you talked about mod filming in model villages with me earlier. Mm. And it, I I had forgotten that, but thank you for the memory. Um we 
only went there because that was a because you loved model villages rather than just filming me. Let's get that straight. But but yeah, I mean, it's the the last times we saw you, James, were were, you were in fancy dress. One of which was you dressed as Thor, if if I remember right. Oh yes, that was your that was at your party. Yeah, 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 that was in in uh, your 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 manner. Yes, Uh, Thor is one of my uh, my outfits. Yes, one of your go tos. I don't. I have I have have three really. Just (laughs) this is too personal now. But I either have Mario. Gandalf nice. or Thor. <laughs> I have to tell you right now, Jay, we, we are now in weird company because these two <laughs> love fancy dress. Pete has got a cupboard full of fancy dress costumes. Oh. James clearly has his three go-tos. <laughs> I'm wondering, are you part of this grouping? Are you no, the third I don't degree? have... No, I, if I... if No, I tend to be... Uh, when I have to go to a fancy dress thing, I will just quickly rummage around in the cupboard and sort of wing it and make something, get a wig from somewhere. But I certainly don't have a whole wardrobe full of... Uh Cosplay well, things now we know. I think, I think either either Blue Nun or the Baby Sham Unicorn, I think, have to become your signatures. So that's your challenge. <laughs> so I've just Googled Blue Nun, and is the Blue Nun herself still on the label then? Because oh. I'm seeing a funny label. I've just Googled it, and it doesn't. It, oh, she is. You're right. No, she is. But she's very small and demure now in the background. She Did, used to be the, bold and up front. She used to be yeah. quite coquettish, think I think, would be, uh, would be the best <laughs> most now polite, I think. Yeah. Is it, now, look, this is, is a tenuous thing, but is Blue Nun an English wine? I don't know. Or is it from abroad? Is it, it exotic and foreign? That is such a good question. But I'm assuming, isn't it German? Is it? Yeah, oh, come on, James. <laughs> it's a really James. Know. James has got the fact. I, I really, thought it was really, Liebfrau really Milch from okay. Germany. It's a I, thought it's, I thought it's German. No, it's, a, it? it's a Liebfrau Milch. But it, was it, I, I suppose the question was, was it a British-created brand rather it than a... It could be British-created brand. I, I, do you know what, Jay, you've got us on slightly dodgy territory. We know <laughs> yeah, a lot sorry. about wine, but I mean, <laughs> you're <laughs> stretching, <laughs> we're stretching us here. We clearly did not prepare properly These people know everything Shocking, shocking. Never have us again, We just weren't prepared for how low the bar We know Everything, everything about Black Tower, nothing about Blue Nun. So, <laughs> Matty's right, so rosé, of course. You know, we're right in there. Yeah, right. So let's gear change into some proper wine. Absolutely. And uh, first of all, I mean, I'm fascinated with how you. I mean, I know it's a very long process, but just the headlines of how you become masters of the wine universe because it is an awesome title. Uh, and you're both. Did you both get your qualification at the same time, or were you both masters of wine and met across the? The, the vineyard. Yes. Our eyes met across the are We're sad, Jay, but we're not quite that sad. I don't know. <laughs> so, I mean, briefly, I mean, Master of Wine is a qualification that, yes, it's, it's, it's the highest qualification you can get as a wine person. It's not a job, you know, so it, it's a qualification. Um, you need to study for a minimum of three years, um, part-time study you don't go and do it full-time um you do it which which makes it it is you know it's difficult for people to do normal normal people who've got a a full-time job you know it's quite hard but uh, you do two years of study and then you do when we did it was a, a dissertation now it's a research project on one one subject the actual two years involves a load of study and then you do a week of exams where in them this is where it goes wrong jay because in the morning you do a tasting exam isn't that right and then in the afternoon, you do a theory exam. Who Ooh. would put it that way round? That's the wrong way round entirely, yeah. isn't it? So, yeah, you taste all these blind wines and you have to evaluate them and write a lot about them. Um, and then you do your theory in the afternoon and you have this week of hideous week of exams. And if you get through it, you get the prize of being able to do your research project. If you get through that, you then are a master of, well, 
you become a master and, of wine. And before that point, you have to, to do some preliminary qualifications or can anybody just leap straight into this, this you're journey? Supposed, you're supposed You've to... got to get to a certain Yeah, level. you're supposed to have yeah. done the yeah. Wine and Spirit Education Trust Diploma. You're supposed to be a very bona fide member of the wine trade. We did actually a programme on becoming a master of wine on our on our podcast recently and I, there were quite a few rules we weren't actually aware of. <laughs> they change all the time. They have actually, I think they've become stricter because in our years there were architects Texts on there. There were mm. people from all over, which we thought was absolutely brilliant. You know, if you yeah. if you love your wine, but you happen to do something else, we think that that qualification should be open to everyone. So we pressed them on this, and they did concede that in special circumstances, if you really can demonstrate you're going to be able if to do this, big and you take it seriously, um, you can come and do it. But I have to say that Susie left out some of the fun parts about that. De- there's definitely they cheat. You know, as part of this, they teach you sort of Jedi. Uh, tricks, you know, things like emptying a glass of wine very, very quickly. We are, we can just make it vanish. Oh, amazing. Um, <laughs> those sort of things, you know, we, we absolutely can do. Jay, to touch on your point, did we get it at the same time? No. Uh, so the order was very much Susie saying, I want to do the Master of Wine. Me desperately trying to dissuade her. Uh, me failing uh, as ever um, her then going on to, to kind of ace all the exams first time oh, and win rough. all the awards and then <laughs> I sort of thought <laughs> oh you know I I've, I've got I've got to do this now and and this, there's a lot of pressure so is there a worry when you get in or not a worry but is there a, a point when you get into it when you're an amateur enthusiast or there must be a point where you go from I love this. I'm fascinated with this. But is there a point where you you start to think, oh gosh, I wonder if my palate or if my abilities in this is going to be good enough? To, do you sort of a bit worried as you're going if you're actually going to be able to achieve whatever it is you need? Like when you say blind testing and stuff to a layman like me, that's oh my god, you need to have a certain level of palate, which I don't even know if I have. Oh, I, th- I think most people could do it, Jay, if I really, really, truly. Um, it's A lot of it's experience, really, really. You know, you've got to taste a lot of wine. It's not a bad thing, um, but you really <laughs> have, and you've got to have all the different um, experiences of different wines from different countries. So you can kind of, you, you know, you know what ballpark you're in when you're tasting something blind, because you've got to. Equally, you've got to remember, you know, if you've got, well, in the Master of Wine exam, you've got 12 wines in front of you, you've got comparisons. I think that's something that people forget about with wine. You know, you give your lovely wine, ordinary wine drinker, a glass of wine and say, what do you think? And actually, it's really hard to say what you think, unless you put it next to something else. So is it better or worse than the Sauvignon Blanc you had last week? I can't remember because that was last week. I think what we would always say with people is put at least two wines next to each other. See what you think, because that's the way to work out, A, what it is, but B, you know, which is better? Which do you prefer? What what Susie is doing, you'll notice quite cleverly, is finding another excuse to open two bottles of wine at the same time. <laughs> there is an element. I was wondering. I'm surprised it was only two, oh, to be honest. Yeah. Well, no, she did mention 12, James, if you'd noticed, if you'd picked up on that little subtle cue. But no, I mean, Jay, it's a really important question and, and, a, and a really important point to say is that anyone, you know, honestly, anyone can do the Master of Wine exam. This is You don't have to be... You know, have extraordinary the, 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 the tasting powers, of tasting. Absolutely not. Um, it's just something you work at. All of us can do this. You guys know this. You love your food um, and your drink. We learn by by just 
paying attention. I think sometimes life is busy and we don't have time, but the way you do it is just by building up that knowledge slowly and, and, and surely. As Susie's saying, you know, usually we, we tend to have just one wine open. The way to start learning is open two or three with some friends and compare and contrast. And very, very quickly, you learn to discriminate between those things, but it's, you know, it's not easy to do. And then come the exam, you know, you've got 12 wines in front of you for three consecutive days and you're being asked very specific things about them, but you've practiced and you've learned. And, you know, I think the reason that we did the MW in the first place is we wanted to be better at our jobs. It's that simple. And we wanted to help people better. We wanted to have the knowledge to be able to help people better, not to make ourselves feel important or or sort of big ourselves up in, in a sort of professional sense, but actually to be able to help people more effectively in the job that we do. Now, if all this talk of wine is making you thirsty, to say thank you to you all out there for listening to us, we have a fantastic offer. How about a free case of beer. That's right, a free case of beer for all of our listeners because we think that you love trying things as much as we do. And we have teamed up with a new sponsor called Beer52 to give you a case of beer free, courtesy of Beer52. All you have to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash journey and help cover the postage which is £5.95 and you'll be sent a fantastic box of beers and I've been sent it and it's brilliant I I love trying different beers and all the different things that are out there is amazing at the moment with all the craft beers you can get all the different IPAs there's such variety and the great thing about Beer 52 is they send you a whole selection of these half of which I'd never heard of it really was exciting to get this and I think you would really really enjoy it Beer 52 is the biggest beer club in the world and each month they send their members a case of beer from a different part of the world and the one I was sent this month is an absolute belter it's the great European road trip case and it takes beers from right across the continent for example there's a Sweden's Duges beer which is uh, a brewer on the dark side there's also a smooth coffee stout from Copenhagen's uh, Urn, which I can't really pronounce apologies to people in Copenhagen and there's also beers from Croatia Poland Germany Serbia and Austria amongst them and if you don't like the dark beers you can request just light beers and there's so many for you to try you can simply pause or cancel your subscription at any time so for a free case of beers on us and our great sponsors beer 52 just go to www.beer52 that's b-e-e-r and the numbers 52.com forward slash journey and claim your free case now right let's get back to some wine shall we you had already decided that wine was going to be your career your life your your at this point so this was there to enhance that it wasn't it didn't come out of that journey and I suppose if, if people are listening thinking I love yeah I love wine and I don't know I'd like to work in wine but I am an architect is that a, you know it's absolutely it, something you can do and um, what you need to do is is start with a, a basic wine course you know the mm. the as we keep saying WSET that's the wine and spirit education trust that's the place to start if you really are serious about potentially having a career in wine you know you could be an architect just I mean I started just with an evening course you know a certificate evening course um and I just got bitten by the bug you know and I think that that happens I mean I was an actress you know I wasn't even thinking about doing wine but I just wanted to do something else Mm. and the great thing is if you never with wine ever ever do anything professionally you're still gonna love having that knowledge because it's part of our social life as well isn't it Mm. do you ever do you find that um 
much like someone who becomes a linguist, once you learn two or three languages, you, you're quicker and better at learning other languages because your brain's programmed that way. While you've studied and loved wine, do you find that your sort of uh, palate vocabulary for other things and your, your analytical ability for other drinks, you know, whatever they may be, is increased or is it very specifically for wine? No, no, absolutely, Jay. We, we spend our life talking complete bollocks, basically. And, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, it absolutely does. You, you learn by naming, you know, you... you I think there's two different things here. There's a descriptive vocabulary and there's a communicative vocabulary. Um, often when we're talking about wines in very specific circumstances, we need to fine tune the words to really express what we want to say about that very specific uh, flavour or aroma or texture, which is very specific to that wine. And so, yes, then you do have to expand your vocabulary. The one thing about the Master of Wine exam and our job is that, is that it really encourages you to be super precise about what you're saying. And, this is something I think sometimes the Master of Wine qualification gets gets criticised for people, you know, doing it for the wrong reasons. Actually, you do it, I think, to be more specific to learn uh, about that sort of stuff. When it comes to communicating, actually, sometimes the challenge is the opposite. It's more about knowing who you're talking to and, and what's going to help them the most, what's going to sort of make the most impact with them and tailoring your vocabulary to them. So I think there's two different things, but absolutely both, I think, are things you have to learn how to do properly first. And once you've done that, then you can start to develop your own sort of style with it. Equally, I think, you know, you know, my, um, my tomato leaf might be your gooseberry. You know, you've got to, I, I think as a, as a wine expert person, you know, if you're talking to somebody who just loves wine and you're trying to sort of help them find the right vocabulary, you've got to give them an option of two or three different um, fruits Absolutely. or whatever, aromas, whatever. So they can say, oh, yeah, no, I, I get that bit. Yes. But that's so then they start to learn. Well, for me, if I'm smelling a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, I definitely smell asparagus or peas or whatever. But not I don't want to say, well, you are bound to smell tomato leaf because that's my um, memory and my kind of perception of it and I think what's really important that people build up their own set of descriptors yeah and I think that mm. sorry to butt in here but I think that you know we all remember Jilly Goulden from from Saturday from um, not Saturday food and drink food and drink <laughs> wasn't it oh, yeah, I forgot about her yeah um, Jilly was brilliant and she came out with these outrageous descriptions of wines and, and it was wonderful and, and it was very theatrical <laughs> which was absolutely fantastic but the flip side of that is you potentially alienate people because if other people smell wines and they think, well, hang on, I'm not getting that, you know, then then they start to think they can't do it. And actually, when we tend to describe wines, what we tried to do and what we did on Saturday Kitchen was talk about the generalities a bit more. What was lovely about Saturday Kitchen was we started from a dish and went from the dish and the recipe and the ingredients, which everyone can understand, and then went to the wine. So we're not talking about the wine in, in terms of, you know, this smells like running naked through strawberry fields in June. It was very much a question of, look, there's that ingredient, and it goes with this in the wine. And that's really nice because it's grounded, it's centered, it's and you, you easy know to that understand. as well, James, um, you? You know, and I think, kind of... I mean, that's the empowering part of it all because you give people, you know, your master's of wine and you've studied it for end of summer years, and, but for the average consumer to give them that little bit of knowledge that means that that bottle of wine is going to work better with the food that they've cooked when often they'll buy a bottle of wine based on maybe what they like or their friend likes but it won't work with the food and, and suddenly that bit of power you've given them in that knowledge can change the entire experience and that might be the tip 
tipping point for them where they think, I can get this wine. I can get this wine thing. I don't know what sandalwood smells like. I've never smelt it. You know, I don't even not sure what oaky, you know, sort of what what it means in a bottle of wine. But I, that wine goes with that dish and I liked it. Exactly. You know, it's enough of a start. Exactly. And that's what know. wine should be. Wine should be about happiness and fun mm. and social and socialising. I think we were, we've been talking today uh, with Professor Charles Spence uh, mm. at the University of Oxford. And, you know, we talk about anosmia, so a specific anosmias where lots of people can't smell individual aromas. And you may have dealt with this. I know Heston's done a lot on this as well. You know, you just can't. Uh, quite a lot of the population can't smell vanilla. Quite a lot of them can't smell violets, um, you know, black pepper, all of these things. And if you just happen through no fault of your own not to be able to smell something and someone else smells, says, this wine smells just like this, and you think, well, hang on, it doesn't smell like that to me. That's not your fault. That doesn't mean you can't do wine. Of course you can. And I think it's a question of coming it from a point of view of happiness, of enjoyment, of I'm going to put this food in this wine, not because there are rules and I need to smell this in the wine and get it right, but instead just doing it for what makes me happy and what, what works for me and the people around me. Well, that's getting it right. And that's what we mm. try to help mm. people to do. Tell you yeah, what, when you when you mentioned Charles Spencer and obviously the, the world of multisensory, it got me thinking because uh, I'm an ignoramus, as we have established many times on this podcast. But one of the things that draws me to a wine is the label, and it's really interesting when you look at wine labels because they are starting to become more charismatic now. They're not all like the French ones, which are white. But there is a there is a weird sort of shorthand in in your mind when you see them. If it's too bright and colourful and sort of jazz hands you sort of go oh that can't be a proper wine but if it's too white and sort of swirly writing like well that's a bit French that's a bit fancy it's somewhere in between the two but I'm just curious why no one's really done like a full coloured bottle for like wine I don't know it's just curious in that world of uh, of wine are there rules are there rules on how big your labels can be and how many colours you can have and I've never really wondered I thought no I, I do you know I think I think really really in a very blunt sense it would just be complicated and, and expensive you know because you know, standard bottles and bottling lines. Oh gosh, have you ever been to a, a winery, Jay, and they, they show you their bottling line? It's so exciting, I can't tell you. Um, but we, we've been to a lot of wineries and they always want to show you their bottling line because it was cost them so much money. Um, oh, right. it's, it's, very, it's a very boring thing to look at, but they're very standard in what they can put through a bottling line. So yes, it would be possible, but the thought of actually covering your bottle in paper that's like all the colors of the rainbow it's probably quite complicated and expensive to do and right. um, equally even colored glass mm. has got levels of complication in the sense of the expense of it so i'm not sure that people wouldn't consider it um it's just it's a level of complication and expense that might not be worth it. But you're, you're, you're a label and it, fan, aren't you? You're, I'm a label fan, definitely. I know, so I was going to say, I know Susie is, a, is yes, we've talked many times about labels. Oh, <laughs> uh, have you? Jay, you're yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. I'm a real label ex- snob. So exciting. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. But no, uh, Jay, you're not alone. You're not, Susie, you know, she's a master of wine and she's led by the label. We all are. We're visual beings. You know, we are, what was it Charles was saying today? I think. Um, our sense of sight takes up 50% of our sensory processing when we're, when we're looking at something. Our, our taste only uses 1% of our cortex. So what should, we're should doing... Should we say who Charles... Does everybody, listeners, Sorry, Char- think... Your lovely listeners know who Charles Spence oh, is because... Um, do explain. Yeah, yeah do explain. Case. Do explain. He's a professor uh, of, well, gastrophysics, multisensory. He has the cross-modal research lab at Oxford University. So he looks at 
um, everything that's the, the the what what else is going on around tasting, basically, apart from the actual tasting itself, what influences us? Um, and one of the key things is, is that we taste with our eyes. We, we live in a world of expectations and our tastes largely exist to fulfill or contradict those expectations. So usually we'll have made up our mind up about what a wine's going to taste like from the bottle, from what we see in the glass, from everything else Even that's going on the sound of the us. bottle opening, um, you know, all so that kind of, the, the, the style of the glass, everything before you've ever tasted it, you've almost decided what it's going to be like. And that's either going to be confirmed or not. And if it's not, then it's a bit weird and people don't tend to like it. So so we've apparently. got a, we've got a, the reason we're talking about Charles is we've been to visit him today and we've got a podcast coming up, which is going to have him on talking about wine and food. And it's all fascinating stuff. But actually, mm. the label is really, really important. And, and we, we overlook this or under, underestimate this at our peril. And we love labels. And actually, I think that there has been a bit of a revolution in the last 10, 20 years. We've got a little bit away from the kind of French paradigm of, yes, sort of cursive script, Jay, as you were saying, um, something like this, which we've got here, which is a lovely, actually, yes, a, yeah. a lovely one. But it's, you know, it's classic French cursive that's script. The this is the Bollinger. Yeah, that's exactly Bollinger. Thinking, I can read that yeah. word. Is that, is that filling you with fear, Jay, as I, as I show you that one? Um, you know, jealousy but there's, yeah. there's lots of um, there's, James just saw Bollinger oh James yeah. <laughs> see what Simple he wants that, to see you know. no, no, but, I mean, there is I think there are there is lots more experimentation these days I think people are going funkier especially say natural wines the, the labels have gone super funky and minimalist and, and a bit weird and a bit Picasso um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing What's, what I think is interesting now as a trend is that actually people are coming back to simplicity and actually trying to row back on packaging in terms of sustainability and keeping things simple yeah. and sometimes people as you say just want something that's nice and easy to understand and, and a bit of fun and what, would, what would you go for Jay if you were looking for a, you know, if you're going for a bottle of wine and you think I haven't got a clue about any of these what kind of label is going to appeal to you that's a really good point you know because as you say if it was anything massively outlandish like i am occasionally drawn to those bottles of prosecco which are basically in those bright shiny <laughs> silver reflective pink silver reflective mm. that's bling. awesome that's amazing for christmas time but there was what i was actually genuinely drawn to was i bought the bottles specifically for the bottles i drank the wine i can't remember what it, what it was called but i kept about five or six of them the entire bottle of wine was covered in this incredible when i say tattoo art it was brightly coloured, like the Yakuza tattoos you'd see on so, so someone from Japan. The whole bottle had these incredible designs on it, and each different, uh, you know, they had a few reds and a couple of whites. Each one was a different thing, and I was so drawn to the artwork on that. I bought the wine specifically to keep the bottles, and I kept them for years. I thought they were fantastic. I wouldn't normally go, you know, just for the biggest, most colourful thing, but there was something about art and wine and inspiration when I saw it. It really, really caught my eye. But generally in the supermarket, something, like I said, not not too like modern modern looking and not too old looking something that feels about sort of my level it's well, funny though isn't it like whereas, said, whereas james just has a house full of outrageously beautiful classic wines yeah, of the he world would. he would he wants dust anymore. he wants extra dust on it <laughs> and a bit of dirt he's a sucker in a farmer's market for I, potato I, I, with I, mud am, on it. I am drawn to well i'm drawn to a, a, a classic image i am i am but i do i you know like you guys i mean i'm drawn by my eyes to lots of different bottles and I'm I'm quite intrigued by the colour of them you mentioned the green or the, I mean there are brown bottles you know and obviously there's a functional aspect to that you're trying to pre prevent certain rays of light getting to the, the you know you've got to I suppose what I always think is that wine is a is a living thing and it's still living in the bottle it's still growing and developing all those incredibly complex organic flavours that you know which is the beauty of it and you know there's a functional nature to it too you know which is about protecting that process as much as you can, which is also part of the wine journey. Once you learn that, you learn how to 
keep your wine you know if you're going to start collecting wine obviously what what you find like i found is that you can't drink it fast enough so you end up having to hold wine at home and then you have to think about where you put it and then you think about actually caring because you spent quite a large amount of your income on it so you know it all it all ties in but but, but you know the label is part of that journey that multi-sensory journey and i'd say i would i would Put, uh, my point would be about the, the eating drinking experience is that we, we eat and drink with all our senses you know we are fully multi-sensory and I'm not talking about the five well-known senses we have senses that we are only just uncovering these senses of intraperception and proprioception and all these other ways in which the brain processes all the inputs that we get and they're all influenced by everything all the time and including the underlying emotional connection with them that's the Heston perspective that I've learned since we you know we worked together on Saturday Kitchen but but food is such a complex thing and wine is it equally one of the most complex things that we have created as human beings you know that's why people fall in love with it because it's endlessly changing and it and it changes as we change so you know we often talk about the, the way wine travels right and you know now you buy these bottles of wine as you drive through southern france and you think it's gonna be wonderful when you get home and when you drink it on a tuesday in front of the football it's just not the same you know and that's you know you always assume oh the wine didn't travel very well it must have been so and actually probably not the wine is the same probably in, in as much as it is but you've changed and you're in a different place and all the things that are influencing your taste buds at that point are totally different and to expect the wine to be the same could when you're so different is it just doesn't make sense so it's it's that relationship that fascinates me with wine it's one of the few things that I've come across that's so receptive to the way I am at that moment and that's why company's so good for it too James could I could I just say uh I think you should go for the master of wine exam <laughs> I think well I've got to still do my WSET one Right. Well, and, it's, it's it's a formality. Well, it's a formality. You, I, I, you need to just write everything you just said down. That could be your dissertation. You'd pass. No, no problem. Well, I've got to write. Surely you've got to write a few more words than that. He would demand a hat, though. He would demand a spectacular hat as well. If we got no, in that get, qualification, to, no, he'd be I, awful with it. Interestingly would, enough, this week, as, as part of this is this is very personal. My work appraisal. Um, which I've been having in the business was how what do you want to achieve in the next 12 months one of them was to gain a wine qualification so I understand the product but we sell as a business more and ah. and obviously it says to you how are you going to know you've achieved your goal and I looked and you get a lapel pin oh so I will know That's if I've passed I have a little badge which means I can stand with a sommelier team in the restaurant and they will look at me in a different way <laughs> no they won't <laughs> <laughs> fair enough there still- you go. <laughs> oh this is brilliant oh, come- where have you got <laughs> coming up on the podcast we're going to follow this adventure now and we're going to well, live your, your highs and lows I've just got to get the company to agree to fund it first and then yes then once they're in we, we do it you know. I think we send in yeah. the microphones with you when you seek that funding and we follow your story <laughs> and that, we've got another programme there Jay there we are we have like haven't we yeah yeah. If, you, if you then give him some boxing gloves and a chessboard and some <laughs> and some, and some well, baby, baby jam. What, what Jay glossed over at the top of the show when he's talking about these two forms, so other, the actual deal here is that he has to pitch these to a, 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 a actual TV commissioner. This isn't just chit chat for the podcast. He's got to go into a meeting. <laughs> And play monkey tennis. None uh, of those. None of those are good enough yet. I want something that's truly oh, awful because okay. I could see a couple of those actually on the screen. So it's got to be worse than that. So our listeners have to keep getting in touch with their terrible food ideas and see if we can get get one of them pitched out there. Um, well, on a on a serious note, one thing I think we ought to make a TV show about, obviously, is English wine. You know, because you know we've talked about German blue nun and we've talked about wines from France and all these kind of things and how do people get interested and excited by wine you know in the English market what do they buy well they ought to be buying English wine now because you know 
it's no longer a, a freak of nature, an anomaly on the market shelf. There's, there's a huge amount to choose from and, and the quality's getting better, right? Oh, the quality's amazing. It really, really is. And I genuinely think, James, people are really understanding that now. You know, I mean, it's it's it, it's been a long time coming, but then the last sort of 10 years, it has escalated, you know, disproportionately. I think a lot of what it is is, though, um, if you boil it down, people... Certain people with a lot of money have decided to put that money into, well, to put their faith and their money into English wine. And Mm. that's what you need. You've got to have that sort of critical mass of people prepared to put their money in and know that this is a long term investment. It's, you know, wine is not short term. And in England, it's really not short term. So you need to be prepared to say, I'm happy to put a lot of money into this and not see a return for quite a long time. But... How long are we talking there? How long? Because I know it takes about five or six years for the for the grapes to be any good for any kind of wine. But is it even longer than that in Britain? What's What's the yeah. deal? I mean, you know, we, it's not because different we, in England. It's no. I mean, you're, yeah, you're right. It takes a while the for the vines to grow. It's, it's a big capital investment, and then, you know, England. What England does really well is sparkling wine and traditional methods, so champagne-style sparkling wine, which needs to be matured before it's released. Now that can be anywhere from you know a couple of years to to to, to five years. So or you know, more. So if you're talking about the beginning of a business, you've got the five years of planting the vines, waiting for them to mature. Then you've got making the wine. Then you've got five more years to sort of while it's it's aging and getting ready so mm. that's a lot of money to tie up and as Susie said it takes some sort of mavericks to really get that going you'd have to be slightly mad to, to launch how are you ever going to make that because okay so how much would it cost then I'm eccentric billionaire along I come I want to set up a decent sparkling wine in England how much am I chucking in at the start and every year until I start seeing a return and then how on earth am I going to make a return yeah. Okay. So, I mean, there's you're no... approaching it the wrong way, Jay. <laughs> logic, logic is not your friend. Here. So, uh, so financial the, plans the, are not the, the way forward. The, here. the way oh, to right. think of this is: start with a large fortune, buy a vineyard, you'll make a small fortune. You know, it, it's literally. Um, You've got, well, millions, it's millions. millions. It's I mean, millions. So you could say, right, okay, um, somebody who's probably put in a, 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 a we, we, we shouldn't, we, we can't name names, but you know, probably ten million to get a really fabulous operation going, but you will still need to keep putting in. Good and Lord. then you... Are, so you are looking at something that is from a, a, a person who's made a lot of money, say, in the city or whatever. They've got a load of money. They want to make their own wine. Fabulous. So they invest. They're looking at probably their grandchildren. Certainly their children or grandchildren will be the ones who really, if they take the business on, will really start to recoup the benefits. But we don't even know that because we haven't we haven't been through that generation yet. That's crazy. So, I mean, so you can do it. Of course ways. you can do it there with are less. Other ways of doing it. You, but, you know, you, you can, it depends on the you know, operation. For example, if you're smart, you, you plant some vineyards and you sell the grapes, for example. So you get a good return. There's a big market for grapes now. You don't have to make the wine. The difficult bit of the wine business is... Making it on the one hand, but then selling it is the hardest bit. Selling, you know, because it's a very competitive market. It's, wine is in chronic oversupply globally. So you're, you know, there's too much wine for what's consumed. So you're always up against it. And it's a very established market. There are some very, very established players. What I think English wine does have is it, it has managed to carve out a a unique place in, in, in the world of wine by making a very specific style of sparkling wine, um, 
Champagne's that little bit warmer now, so the wines are tending to get that little bit richer. English sparkling wine has always this amazingly vibrant acidity, um, which I think few places around the world are doing in the same style at the same quality. Um, so it's got a nice little niche there. Um, and equally now, what we're starting to see in English wine, which is really exciting, is the still wines uh, as well, alongside the sparkling wines. So some lovely, really elegant Chardonnays and Pinot Noirs, which again are have that freshness to them, which often, you know, in, in other areas, the freshness is what's starting to be difficult mm. with global warming, the temperatures warming up, the weather becoming more erratic, the conditions are becoming drier. Actually, England is starting to move into a place where you're getting freshness and, and there aren't that many places now which are really delivering the same kind of freshness. So it is a massive investment. We're seeing, I think we're seeing in English wine, though, this has gone beyond the stage of your maverick sort of investors putting a lot of money into it. We, you know, we've just seen uh, one of the biggest German um, wine conglomerates in the world uh, buying Bolney in, in the UK, Henkel, which is a massive, massive move. We've obviously seen the champagne uh, companies coming in as well. So... This is now a business that's that's a proper business. Um, it's you know the the, the profitability is and there. Are there people? I mean, are we importing knowledge? Is my kind of thought. Are we bringing in winemakers and and, and skills and maybe even grapevines from from other countries, or are we building from the bottom up? Are we going to have a generation of people that have the skills that you know Burgundian winemakers have have had for hundreds of years? Are we building that platform that's for, for two hundred really, years time? It's a really good question, James. And what I would say, it's almost the opposite interestingly enough and um, we have got in this country because we've got Plumpton which is an agricultural college that st- that you can study wine they have gone from being a bit of a sort of like oh well you could go and study wine they're probably you know a, a very very small course to suddenly becoming one of these centers of wine making and knowledge because of the rise in English wine and so you've got a load of young English winemakers, people working in the vineyards, working in the winery, people tend to want to be winemakers more than they want to be viticulturists, which is a shame, but that's the way it is. But, you know, they're the young ones who people are going, wow, they studied at Plumpton and now they might go off and do something in another part of the world. Yes, there's a bit of coming the other way. So any champagne houses investing here, so Tattinger and Pomery have both invested in the UK, they're going to bring their winemakers over and they're going to use their French expertise. But equally, we've got a whole load. The times that we go to an English winery or, you know, UK winery, and they've got an English, maybe 20s, 30s, early 40s kind of men, mostly men actually Mm, thinking about it, but there are some women as well. Quite a few, actually, no, that's unfair. There are women and men who are all doing brilliantly and making great wine, and they'll probably be sought after, I think, around the world. Yeah, and I think we are mm. actually we are we are exporting wine talent. Actually, James, it's a very good question. Really? I think Plumpton's done a really good job. It's amazing how many times around the world you go and you talk to someone, they say, "Do you know I studied at Plumpton?" You think really, but they did, <laughs> and it's 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 so it is. We are starting to export this. Mm. I think there's the yeah. passion there, the, the, there's the talent, and and I think there's the throughput. And now Plumpton is sort of upping its game. I imagine we'll see other colleges becoming uh, more and more prominent in the UK as well. But I mean, it's also, you know, it's... it's Just going it's, back, no, going back to the cost of it as well. You know, I, I was, I, I feel I'm sitting here thinking 10 million, I'm slightly exaggerating. But, you know, the problem is land costs are now going up. So if people mm-hmm. think, now people have got this idea that you could plant a vineyard. So land that might have cost you a certain amount, it now costs you 10 times as much if it's thought that it would work for, for viticulture. So mm. it, it's kind of, it's a land is expensive, labor's expensive, getting equipment is expensive because often it has to come from Europe, not a great position at the moment. And so, you know, there, there's a lot of 
costs and they're not going down. They're kind of going up. And is this possible then all over the UK or is it in pockets? I mean, you know, because I know, I can't remember which parallel it is, but they always say you can't grow wine. French would tell you can't grow wine above the whatever it is parallel. And obviously that's well south of England. <laughs> which you know, which so happens kind to be of, in France, yeah. 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 Yes, of course. <laughs> no, but, but even in northern France, you don't see a lot of winemaking in Normandy and Brittany. It's it's other kind of things. So, you know, in England, is it is it a very southern thing or is it... Is it Are you eyeing up your back garden with your 10 million? Always. Well, I'm eyeing up Jay's back garden, to be honest. <laughs> My AstroTurf is not going to give a great deal of grapes. <laughs> no, it's, um, it is, it's, it's a really good question. I mean, the, 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 I think it's the fairest to say is the UK is on the limits of viability of wine growing. Um, but that is changing. And I think we've seen a shift in the last 30, 40 years of... Um, there's a fascinating guy called Dr. Alison Nesbitt, who's a climate and wine scientist, um, who's looked at, who's mapped the UK in terms of viability for wine, but he's worked a lot on climate change. And, and in the last 30, 40 years, the, the growing season temperature, which is the key metric when it comes to wine, so the periods when the, when the, when the vine is working, has gone up by a full degree centigrade in 30, 40 years. And that's tipped us from being not viable really which is what was happening for most of the um, 20th century people struggling with the climate to it actually now being viable and we are sort of where champagne was in the 60s and 70s in terms of climate so there is a sort of line but i think amazing (laughs) interestingly it's sort of the, the line it's is going to be a long more... time before we get too hot, Jay. Don't... <laughs> the, li- the line's becoming more fudged now. I think partly because of the advances in viticulture and knowledge and expertise. Mm. Um, but you know, you're looking at um, Canada and places, other places around the world, Sweden. Um, there are some really interesting places starting to cotton onto wine, and I think partly with the view that maybe in the future, if what has been happening carries on happening that limit is going to be shifting ever northwards. And I think that... At the moment, it does tend to be the the the, the bottom half of the UK that yeah. you've got the most um, established wineries, the award-winning wines. Yes, there are some people in Yorkshire, in Scotland even, but, but the, the bulk is in the southern part of, of England um, or the, the southern half of England. And I think that probably will stay like that for quite a while. Mm. And do you think, just for a minute, again, this might be naive questions, but I'm just thinking you, you talk about the difference between winemaking and viticulture and, and, and is it the kind of the viticulture that's the problem for us, you know, the winemaking knowledge, I'm sure we can travel the world and gather some incredible techniques to, you know, but we're only as good as the grapes we can grow. Would that be fair? Absolutely. I mean, once you get those brilliant grapes in the winery, wow, you're, you're good to go. You know, you can do whatever you like in the winery. You're not weather dependent. The rest of it's just so weather dependent. Yeah. And, and part of the problem is, is ripeness. So getting the grapes ripe, you know, it's very rare to get grapes really, really ripe in this country, which is why it works for sparkling wine, because sparkling wine, you can get sort of slightly underripe grapes and make them into good wine by the winemaking process. But, you know, it's just not warm enough here. Everyone who knows who grows apples in their garden in the UK you know when you taste your, your, your good English apple it's pretty acidic it's you know that's one of the definitions the hallmarks of English fruit that's because they're not super ripe um, mm. and that you know that acidity is, can be a good thing but equally you know if you're not getting the fully ripe it's, it's bad but another thing for example is um, uh, rainfall so rainfall at key moments in in the period not in the- constant rainfall Surely that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the, the classic one is that the vines flower around um, 
June. Wimbledon time, what, what used to be Wimbledon, so the last couple of weeks of June. Um, and as we all know with Wimbledon, it's always raining at Wimbledon. And what that tends yeah. to mean, if it's raining at flowering, it can really hit your crop. I mean, it can reduce your yields by half, you know, and that's massive if you're trying to make a living from this sort of thing. These sort of things don't help. So there's many parameters, many elements mm. that come within the climate that make things challenging here in the UK. But, you know, I think what's lovely to see is we've got some fantastic quality wines and, and we're all interested in buying local and i think we're going to see more and more of these wines and they're well worth trying i remember going to um when it filmed in a incredible uh sparkling wine vineyard in the south downs and utterly unexpected and i found the whole thing fascinating because i turned up in what is absolutely quintessential english countryside it was all sort of sun dappled and i i thought the vineyard would sort of stand seem odd because everything is so perfectly manicured and actually it fitted in just incredibly well and they were talking about the sea you know the salt coming from the sea and, and the breezes across there it just sort of made sense in a way that there's there's just as much romance and just as much interest and we're talking about all the sort of multi-sensory and mental aspects that improve your enjoyment of wine the things you've said about you know buying something that's been grown locally in a place that you probably have more identification with and certainly understand the inspiration of more than I would some sort of random part of France I'd never visited. It's really cool. And you feel like you're really getting behind something as well now. Talking, you know, you, you, I know you're sort of, these people sound like they're mad as a box of frogs spending all this cash on this thing, but good on them. I mean, I think I'd rather drink well, their the other thing, the other thing people are doing is really investing in the tourism side, which is absolutely what they need to do. Because as you say, then you go and visit, you know, you go and visit, they might have a nice cafe, they might have a nice shop, you know, they've got a whole tour experience, brilliant restaurant, People have rooms, you know, or beautiful little boutique hotels. And you just think that's surely the way forward because you can make a whole load of money from that, but give people the proper experience of being a part of it. And maybe that's the, maybe that's the English terroir, right? The whole atmosphere of, of the journey to, to find these places, you know, in the places where you don't experience it, influences your experience of that wine. And if that enhances it and makes you want to drink it more than that's and I was, as you're talking I'm just thinking here you know we are a problem solving nation we're, we're a nation of engineers and we we you know we solve you know technical problems and, and and so maybe in our winemaking journey it is a case of not maybe you know wine as a thing is not what you know, as a name as a word is not what necessarily we can make but there is a wine that we can make but we are just not yet confident enough and and able you know to stand up and say this is what Britain makes and it is a wine but it's not going to taste it's going to have its own taste and it's brilliant and and that's the journey maybe you know in our heads we need but to I think we're journey, partly there I really do I think it's, it's mm, changed the, so much it's partly the producers mm. need to have the courage of their convictions to say no we're going to go out and we're going to make the best thing we can make here and that's what we're going to sell and believe in it's also something that we wine drinkers and wine lovers need to get behind a bit more I think as British people were often quite, uh, what's the word, reticent. We're, we're often a bit embarrassed and, and, yeah. and you know, about what we do. We and hide what we, our light under a bushel. What she said. You know, we do. Mm. Actually, we need to get on the rooftops and champion this stuff. We have got a world-class thing that we are making in this country, which is English and Welsh wine. We should be shouting to the French and Germans and Spanish Absolutely. about this because it's beautiful and it doesn't replace what they're doing. It's not better or worse. It's just brilliant and it's ours. So I think we should really get behind this. And we've had that journey with with food we've had that journey with gastronomy so there's no reason why we can't do it with everything we do in, in food and drink and wine in particular it yeah. will take time it will t- we will get there and i think we will and but equally you're right James. you know you're the, so right you're absolutely right the, the, the issue i think partly is that english wine is not cheap you know and i think we need to address that it's not 
you know, the most democratic drink. So hopefully in time, maybe we'll, we'll be able to, to, to satisfy a broader range of prices, but it, it's not the cheapest. Often you're, it's, a, it's a luxury spend, it's a special occasion wine, and that's absolutely fine. Um, but I think to flip it around as well, Jay, to touch on what you were talking about when it comes to people investing, I think, how about this for a political uh, moment on the show? I, I reckon we should all lobby uh, the government to introduce a new tax, whereas where, where, when your personal wealth gets to a certain level, you are forced to set up uh, a winery in this country <laughs> and then we it. will have vineyards over every single hedgerow <laughs> and you're right Jay these vineyards belong here they look great here they will make this country great again um, <laughs> and drunk there we go again <laughs> or, or we go the other way and we offer reback we offer tax benefits right if you plant a vineyard in your garden as instead of building another office space you know you get so it's like solar paneling right <laughs> you know we make it advantageous I think you know. I think it is. I believe there's there's a I'm talking and to an estate. And then you supply all those parties at Downing Street with nice nice prosecco. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, this is the thing. If they were drinking English wine, we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't mind so it's much. It's a patriotic act. <laughs> and I just wonder before we, we I know we I know I can see we're we're, we're running well over our, our time, but I was just thinking kind of. You know, as we're talking about the tax on wine, and I, just a technical point, it might not be interesting enough, and you can cut here, Jay, if you want. But kind of, but if we make our own wine, do we still pay the same taxes that we buy pay when we when we when we import wine from another country? So even though it hasn't crossed the border in any way, shape, or form, we still the taxes the same. Based, you can't escape taxes, James. There's no. I'm not saying taxes. escape, but it shouldn't be the same. It hasn't crossed an international border, right? So there's no custom charge. So this is what what as a as a punter you kind of have to understand when you're buying English or Welsh wine you are a paying for the fact that it's quite expensive to make wine here and then b there's no difference on the on the tax currently yeah. although there is a that with a proposed tax change which we're not in favor of with, with there's a whole load of, uh, sort of there, silly, there might silly be sort ideas. Of some slight things which might slightly favor local producers but no it's anti-competitive you know you can't really start um, changing the rules uh, completely. The point about English wine is because it's been quite a high price point, uh, the tax is less, has less of an impact because you can still protect your margin. Um, it's it's more a sort of the, the, the fighting prices where where the tax makes a big difference. But of course, you know, as we know, you know, on a five pound bottle of wine, you're only getting uh, 20p's worth of or something like that yeah, worth of yeah, wine yeah. because of the tax and the dry costs and the fixed costs. Whereas when you get up to 10 quid, you're spending, you're, you're getting much more in terms of the yeah. value of the wine. I mean, that's a different debate. But all of these, I think Rishi Sunak needs to needs to tune in because we've got some serious political points here. We need to change <laughs> the way that alcohol duty works in this country. It's it's profoundly um, anti-wine is counter it? counter well it's counterproductive yeah. it doesn't you know the, the, the exchequer the treasury could earn much more money in a more grown-up way by changing the way it does things not in and the way it's all, currently proposing and we'd all drink better wine right I mean this is something I've learned from you guys for that simple explanation that on a five pound bottle of wine might seem like good value in the supermarket but you're getting a infinitesimally least less quality yeah of, of quality wine words if you spend 10 pounds for quality threshold goes through the roof because it's all on the winemaking you're paying part of now. that is is yes you I mean people will rightly say but well, hang on but i can't afford 10 pounds and you think well fine but actually if we change the way the tax system works which can be done relatively easily uh, it's much fairer for everyone to get some good wine and, and this is where i do get on my hobby horse but you know we are a proud nation. We are a historic nation. We, what part of our proud history is being one of the best places in the world to drink, buy, and enjoy wine because we we can buy wine from 
all over the world here. Very few countries you can go to. They often make their own wine. So that's predominantly what you see. We, we are an importing nation. We have got this amazing array of wine, but we are seeing that choice and that value eroded by what the government is doing with its tax uh, and by other decisions that have been made recently. Um, so we need to try to claw that back. And, and if once we've lost that, it's very hard to regain it. Um, we need to stay as a country, one of the best countries in the world to buy and enjoy wine. Guys, unfortunately, we have massively run over. But just in the last couple of seconds, um, can you just give some any suggestions you have, just English, Welsh wines, uh, any brief suggestions that people can go out and actually seek for themselves over the next few? I appreciate, obviously, our, our listeners abroad, uh, who we're thankful to have many, won't be able to get involved. But hopefully you will when they come over here or maybe they can import it. So, yeah, any examples you've got that people can seek oh, out? It's so it's so difficult, Jay. I mean, you know, really English sparkling wine, you've got so many great producers. I honestly don't think it wouldn't matter who you went to You've got, I mean, Nightingale is the obvious one that was, you know, the fir- one of the first. But you've got your Ridgeviews, your Wistons, your Hattingleys, um, Gusborn. I mean, there's just tons, and that's they're, they're the big people. You know, there's then a whole load of smaller people doing fantastic stuff as well. When it comes to still wines, probably fewer people. Um, but you know, people like Gusborn are well worth seeking out for still wines. Chapel down, Chapel down for still wines. Um, I am going to miss. I, I feel really terrible because there are so <laughs> Sorry, many. Sorry, I shouldn't great have put people. you on the spot there as well. Equally, I'm going to say we have made our own wine for charity, so I have to give that a plug. And Absolutely. You about, we've called them Hope and Glory. So oh. if, if anybody wants to buy them, all of it goes to charity, and it's HattingleyValley.com to buy them. I had to put that in. I hope you don't mind, guys. Just think, if this is a jubilee year, it's a platinum jubilee year. You know, if you're going to, you've got to buy Hope and Glory. You've got to buy all English wine and celebrate <laughs> our marvelous monarch with English wine. You can't be drinking French beer and French wine this year. Not you've this got year. to be drinking English wine. Okay. Well, let's say not English, UK, British wine, isn't it? British wine. Yes, yeah. we're going to get all of our yeah, yeah all of, apologies our to our, our UK wide audience who are going to be giving the my my Welsh wife. It's only wine in Scotland. Oh, it's, it's only one bit. in Scotland. A little bit. Where can we? Uh, where can people find you? Obviously, the Wine Blast podcast, but also SusieandPeter.com. Is that right? Yep, SusieandPeter.com. So Wine Blast, SusieandPeter.com, and then Hattingley Valley for the for the wines. For the, for the wine, of course. And you do, you do a new episode every week. Is it? Uh, did you drop a new? No, or we don't we don't work that we're hard. Not, we're James. not we're not as as well organized. <laughs> we're not like us. You. No, <laughs> well, every well, couple of weeks. Jay, never been Hold on, listen work. to this, Jay. <laughs> We, we have to do it every week, says Jay. We blame it on the wine. We, we know we should be doing it every week or more regularly, but we, we manage about it once every fortnight with, you know, oh, okay, juggling great. the wine. It's, it's That's as much as we can do. But uh, yeah, so once a fortnight, wine blast. Uh, Chino, we'd love to. We'd love to. Yeah. Uh, and it's all about champagne tomorrow, isn't it? Next oh, one's all about champagne. Having talked about English wine, it's all um, about <laughs> champagne. Susan Peter, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a complete delight speaking to you. And uh, yeah, bottle of Blue Nuns in the post uh, and maybe a baby shower. <laughs> incredible we will speak to you again hopefully very soon James thank you sir I'll raise a glass to you always a pleasure I'm popping I'm going to go and pop a cork tonight I'm going to do something I've got to drink some wine now can't you've got to go and plant the vineyard in your back garden come on now (laughs) yeah well actually again very personal I'm giving away so many personal my garden was an orchard of some sort so you know I've got to get rid of all the fruit trees I thought you were doing truffles as well you're doing truffles and wine now we're easily inspired by our guests yeah you are you're going to train well, your dog. Be out there. Yeah. I don't think you can, oh, I'm going to train the dog to find them. What about truffled cider? Oh, there is you that go. a thing? Is that a well, thing? Well, it is now, James, you know. Trademark. You've got an orchard. Yes. You've, got, you've got truffles. I've got a dog. That'll, that'll get to keep his, keep his wine collection going. <laughs> Until next week, James. Speak soon. Bye. Bye.